Well, hello and welcome back. Um, this is our second episode of the podcast. Um, I'm really excited. We have two guests here today. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Jelly. Uh, she, her, and this is Dakota, the goodest girl in the world. Also, she, her. Um, and Dakota is a golden retriever. She's also Jelly's service dog. Um, so we have the delight of having her in our lives pretty often. Um, she's super tired because it's currently 9.30 in the morning, and she's not really a morning girly, you know? No. We can't all be, you know? Um, a sleepy gal. She is a sleepy gal, and you know, who can blame her, honestly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys so much. Um, Jelly is currently a medical student, um, so she's on rotations in Milwaukee, but she's visiting this weekend, so we were very excited to have her. Um, Jelly, do you want to talk a little bit about what you're up to in medical school right now? Just in general? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I did, we have a lottery system for picking where you do your rotations. And so I've been in Milwaukee for almost six months now, and then I'll be moving back to Madison soon for six months there. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, and right now I'm on surgery, so I just finished uh, breast oncology. And I'm moving on to urology next for two weeks, and then surgery's done forever. Whoa! Yeah, so I didn't realize you were in the surgery block as well right now. Mm-hmm. Do you like it? Because I know it's been, like, pretty intense for some of the other students. Yeah. I really liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I think part of that is people who do it in Milwaukee do it there kind of because it's supposed to be more chill. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot and didn't feel like I was bullied as much as I would be in Madison. Yeah. Plus didn't work like 80 hours a week like they did. Right. Yeah. I know it's been kind of tough. It's been like weird hours for Caleb doing mm-hmm. surgery here. Like it, it's on and off. I feel like they've tried to cut him some breaks. But some days he's had, like, 14-hour days, and it's yeah. just been, like, awful. Because he'll, he'll get in at, like, 6.30, and then he'll get home at, like, 7, and it's yeah. like, ah! It's so. Hard. So we have to study outside of that. Yeah. Because some of them I had to be there to, like, pre-round at 5 or 5.30, mm. and then you're in doing surgeries and rounding all day, and then you get home at, like, 7, and you have to eat, because you didn't yeah. have to eat the whole time you're there, because they go and they're, like... They, the surgeons don't eat, and they make jokes about it. They're like, oh, well, there's no time to eat. I'm like, well, I'm going to pass out, sir. Um, just because you have, like, disordered eating doesn't mean I have to, sir. Literally. I would like to consume. How is that not a problem? He's like, haha, we don't consume food here. We're actually just gonna go operate on a body for, like, 12 hours on sheer will. Yeah, no water either, because then you'll have to pee during surgery, and that's not okay. Oh my god, okay. Well, you know, and that's why I didn't choose medical school. (laughs) Um, which rotation has been your favorite so far? In total or in surgery? In, uh, either. Mm. I didn't realize there was rotations in rotations. I guess I did. <laughs> I, like, I know you guys are like, oh yeah, I'm doing like this type of surgery this mm-hmm. week, but I didn't think about it. Well, my favorite overall was mm-hmm. I got to spend almost four weeks at, um, like a bilingual free clinic in Milwaukee. Oh yeah, you talked about mm-hmm. uh, that a little bit. And it was really fun because I speak um, Spanish, I got to kind of practice almost independently. It felt like what it would be like when I'm a doctor. Ah! So I'd go a and, little... like, see all the Spanish-speaking patients by myself, make a plan and stuff. That's so cool! Yeah. A little view into the future, mm-hmm. what you'd like to do. Do you have an idea of what you'd like 
to have your future look like outside of medical school? Yeah, I've been considering a lot of things. I know I definitely want to go into primary care because I need things with, like, a ton of variants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but You like a little mix-in. A little mix-in. But I don't know if that'll look like family med, peds, or emergency med. Mm -hmm. It kind of depends on if I like emergency med when I do it, but I have it last, which makes it kind of hard. Right. For deciding for applications and stuff. If I did family med, I would want to do something like the clinic I was in. <clears throat> yeah. Like a community clinic. Um, if I do emergency medicine, there's some with, like, global health residency, so you can go to other countries and do that, too. Yeah. <clears throat> Makes sense. Um, well, today we are going to talk a little bit around the topic of neurodivergence, uh, mm. just because Jelly has a lot of lived experience, um, growing up and, um, just, like, going into the medical field. I think there's a lot of, um, misperceptions around neurodivergence, because I feel like I still see it on TV. Like, I literally just, like, saw an episode on TV the other day of a person being like, oh, I'm autistic. And the person talking to her was like, mm, are you really? Because mm. she was like, you look like you function fine. And I was like, oh my god, like, I just feel like there's still, like, like, just so much stigma around neurodivergence that it's just kind of, um, yeah, wild that it doesn't get talked about. And especially, mm -hmm. like, I feel like the diagnosis you know, often doesn't come until later in life, especially in women. Mm -hmm. um, so did you want to talk a little bit about your journey of how you really, like, came to terms with, like, your, I don't know, you, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. how you came to terms with how you claim to be neurodivergent today, if that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. I first want to make a comment about what you said about, like, the stigma around it. Yeah. I was just talking about this yesterday with some friends about how, like, medicine seems to really draw neurodivergent people from yeah. across the spectrum, yet it's still so taboo, and, like, you can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, people know, like, ER med, there's, like, the joke that it's the haven for undiagnosed ADHD people, mm -hmm. but when I, like, talk as someone who wants to go into emergency medicine, and I'm open, and I'm like, oh, I have ADHD, so I think this is a really good place for me, mm -hmm. people are, like, really weird about that, or they'll, like, say things like, oh, yeah, I kind of thought I had ADHD for a while. Right. I worked <clears> with <throat> a surgeon who I talked about with that, and every time he would say something crazy, he's like, I feel like surgery is the only place I can actually focus and not think things, and I was like, oh, that sounds like you're hyperfixating. Yeah. Very common in ADHD people. I totally get that. And he was like, no, no, I don't have ADHD. He was kind of really weirded out about it. Yeah. Even though we discussed multiple times that he and I do the same things, and I was like, I have diagnosed ADHD, my guy. Yeah, that's um, wild. Oh, and I just want to clarify, yeah. <clears throat> I meant, like, what you, what you, like, hold claim to, like, the type of diagnoses you have. Not, yeah. like, you're like, I have autism. I you're like, I autistic. just, like, just that you, like, claim to. Not that, not that you're, like, out here saying you have AD, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, did you want to talk a little bit about, were you comfortable sharing, like, what your diagnoses are? Mm-hmm. 
I was gonna bridge into that because I've also had experiences with doctors and talking about autism. Yeah. And how, like, the stereotype of, like, surgeons especially is always like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're just so quiet and quirky and terrible at talking to people. Yeah. And stuff like that. Like, I've even had doctors talk about other doctors and be like, I think he's on the spectrum. As if it's like, they literally, like, whisper it. Yeah. Like, it's some, like, quiet secret and some, like, really bad thing. Yeah. But then they'll be like, it makes him this great surgeon. Like, he can't talk to patients for shit. Am I allowed to swear? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> we clearly didn't listen to our first episode. Okay, cool. It was so funny. Caleb said shit, and then he was like, shooty. <laughs> the rest of the episode. Oh, god darn it. <laughs> well, gee whiz. Oh yeah, and they'll like openly talk about how like it makes this person such a good surgeon because they're like incredible at what they do, but yeah. can't talk to patients for shit. And I'm like, great, so you recognize that this is a good thing in this instance. Yeah, you still feel the need to like whisper it and look around as if yeah. it's some like dirty secret that they might be autistic. Yeah, and that's wild because I feel like that feeds into a little bit about what you were talking about about getting an official like autism diagnosis Mm -hmm. um because um there's a lot of like stigma also around like um adopting children as well so there's so many things that like prevent you from actually getting like a proper diagnosis which means getting like proper you know like um like accommodations you know and so that's just like a wild system that there would be like something that is meant to uh, like harm you in the way of you actually getting accommodations like Mm -hmm. it is just like I don't know that's so scary you know definitely and I had like a really roundabout way into where I got to my diagnoses Mm -hmm. and they're also kind of different on paper than they would be for some people yeah Because I first, like, got kind of psychiatrist diagnosed with ADHD at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, After a whole round of, they kept, as an AFAB, like, they kept misdiagnosing me with things. Mm -hmm. And from the get-go, I was like, I'm pretty sure I have ADHD. And they were like, no, you're depressed. And they put me on SSRIs. And I had the worst reaction ever, like, borderline serotonin syndrome shit. Because I didn't need serotonin. I had plenty of serotonin. Yeah. (laughs) And then they were happy like, as a clam. happy as a clam. I was like, I'm not like sad. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and then they were like, oh, well, clearly you're bipolar then if you had this reaction to the SSRIs. And I literally remember saying, I think I have ADHD. Like I'm, ex- I'm telling you, I'm not because they're like, oh, do you sometimes run around and clean your room? And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's because I let it get awful and then I clean it quick and then it gets awful again. They're like, oh, you must be bipolar. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's ADHD. <laughs> and they were like, no. So they put me on bipolar meds for a while. Awful reaction. So then after that, I was like, listen, these meds feel awful. You're wrong. It's just ADHD. This doc finally gave me an ADHD med. Mm-hmm. Um, which, an- another term, was just awful for other reasons. But it got me to finally start that process. Yeah. However, the road to get a diagnosis, especially as someone who's on, like, Medicaid and is a poor bitch, it's yeah. so hard to get into a place. And at this point, I was about to graduate undergrad, come here for med school. And they were like, listen, we can put you on the wait list, but you won't get through until you've already been a year into med school in a different state. Uh. So there's no point. So I move here, and I'm like, hey, I really need to get this done, because I, you can't take stimulants for ADHD until yeah. you have an official diagnosis. Right. 
And the other meds had given me a lot of issues because I have dysautonomia and a lot of those affect your like blood vessels and stuff. So it's making me pass out all this weird shit. I was like, I need stimulants. So I need this diagnosis. I need the official like accommodations and stuff. I get on the wait list when I move here for med school in August. And this is um, not even through a doctor. I had to pay out of pocket for this because going through a doctor takes even longer if you go through the medical system. Oh my god. And almost no one takes Medicaid. So I was like, I guess I'll just pay out of pocket because I need to get this done. That's such an awful system. It's awful. And I was still on the wait list for almost two years before I finally got through and was able to complete the testing, which is awful. And this whole time, the, the psychiatrist that I had here was being so shitty about it and being like, why do you want stimulants? And like treating me like I was like trying to misuse these drugs because yeah. I wanted like life-altering drugs for something that clearly would help me so much and it has Mm -hmm. helped me so much now that I have it but all through the process and even after I started the meds he was always like checking and being like are you taking them away I prescribed and like treating me like just like as if like I'm just prone to misusing this thing that's like for my diagnosis Mm -hmm. and like clinically proven to be incredibly helpful yeah shitty but anyway I got diagnosed psychiatry-wise around the same time as ADHD, um, sorry, no, when I moved to med school I got a new psychiatrist, and I was like, listen, I tried to tell my other one that I think I'm autistic, and he was like, nah, and she laughed, and she was like, definitely, (laughs) and she was like, I would have mentioned it if you didn't, because she's like, I think you have ADHD, but I know you're autistic. And I was like, nice. <laughs> it's so nice that you were able to find, like, a healthcare provider that would let you advocate for yourself. I know. I feel like that's such a problem, especially in women. Like, I really, I um, appreciate, like, and, you know, you're going through medical school, so you mm-hmm. understand it's, like, so hard to find, like, a proper diagnosis and figure out what's, you know... Um, what's going on with certain patients, and yeah. I know they can come in and, like, do some Googling and be like, oh, I think I have this, and you're trying to take that with, like, a grain of salt and be yeah. like, okay, like, let's find you, like, the proper, you know, you're trying to help. Yeah. So I, like, I understand to, like, a certain extent, but, you know, there, I just feel like a good medical provider needs to let, you know, their patients, like, self-advocate and then yeah. be like, okay, let's, Let's go from there and, like... At least consider it. At least consider it. Like, I'm not saying that, like, obviously everything you come in with, that you're like, oh, I feel like maybe this is going on with me. Like, not everything is... so far left field. Yeah. you should think about it. But, like, if... maybe explain why you know. And and we should probably consider at least, like, oh, where does that thought come from? And, like, you can build from there. True. And the fact that you went into a separate psychiatrist and immediately she was, like... (laughs) Yes. Like... (laughs) I, like, in my experience, the fact that I'm already seeing this and you've been trying to advocate for this for years, um, this is definitely, like, a route I want to help you get to. Yeah. Yeah, That is, um, that's so hard. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about, a little bit about then what you have kind of faced since getting, like, your diagnoses? Yeah. We can talk about that. Um, whether it's, like, life. Or, you know, like, because it can be, like, social life, it can be, like, school, mm-hmm. like, family relations, anything. Yeah. Um, I'll go back a little bit, uh, well, not a little bit, I'm gonna go back right to the beginning, but very synopsis of how I felt until I got my diagnosis. Like, super quick. 
<laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, and anything you want to, like, jump in and say. Okay. I just think it's, like, relevant to how I've come to now and how I feel yeah. post-diagnosis. But I think my life has kind of been, like, neurodivergent-wise and realizing that I was... I don't, I don't like saying, like, different than the other kids. Like, all the different <laughs> I'm not shit. like other girls. But, like, it feels like it was, a like, a bimodal curve or, like, a parabola of sorts. Because I remember when I was super young, never knowing that, like... I thought, like, everything was a vibe. Everyone is the same. I thought everyone had the sensory issues I had. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no way. You know, when you're young, you don't talk about things. Like, hey, when y'all shower, isn't it so funny that we can't touch things for hours after, including our own hands? So funny. I hate that. Like, that, that doesn't is so come silly up. of me. <laughs> like, we all do this. It's all of our things. <laughs> and I didn't realize until, like, Maybe, like, middle school when kids started being shittier and talking more than I was like, oh, not everyone deals with this shit. Also, all these people I thought were my friends are actually just really, like, bullying me, <laughs> and mm. I had no idea. Yeah, the realization is tough. Yeah. Just, like, full get thrown into, like, oh, life is shitty, and also I don't understand anything that's happening. And then around that time was when the friends that I did have started, like, coaching me on life skills because I was so, like... They would always be like, ah, Jelly or Angelus. I went by at the time and they were like, she's the smartest person I've ever met, but she has no common sense. Like, that was what my friends always said about me. Oh my gosh. So they, like, actually had lessons for me teaching me how to, like, figure out what clothes to wear, because I didn't get it. I remember sitting in my room and I was like, both these things have yellow. Does that mean they're go? And they're like, no, they're different yellows. And they (laughs) both have patterns. And I was like, but you said they just have to have yellow. And it was so hard learning all of these things that I just did not have programmed like they did. Yeah. And then I got to, like, high school where I learned how to follow those rules so well that I was so, like, I was friends with everyone in my high school. I, like, hopped from group to group being friends with, like, everyone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this shit's easy. Just follow the rules and you can be friends with everyone, you know, putting on a new persona for every group and, like, fitting in super well. And having the time of my life, I was like, oh my god, I never want high school to end. I'm friends with everyone. Everything's great. I feel great. And then I got to, like, senior year of high school and experienced burnout for the first time in my life. And I, like, full isolate. Like, I, I didn't know why this was at the time. Yeah. But I, like, dropped out of all of my sports. I stopped, like, caring in classes. I stopped talking to all but, like, two of my friends. And, like, that's, like separately when my eating got like way more disordered not separately pretty (laughs) relatedly but like all at the same time and I look back and I was like wow what an insane shift Mm -hmm. and I realized it's because I like burnt out from putting on those personas for everyone and having no idea why and not knowing I was doing it I just knew I was being successful so why the fuck would I stop right so then I get to college and I find my roommates who are blessings from the universe itself I don't even know Julia and Emma so good And, like, the first time I was able to finally experience, like, unmasking fully in front of people, and it was through being friends with them and being, like, finding who I was, because I had no fucking clue. I'd spent Mm -hmm. so long putting on different masks to, like, fit into things that when I finally unmasked, it took so long to figure out what I actually was like. But once I did, it was through them that I started realizing, I was like, huh, we don't think about things the same way. Yeah. We don't experience things the same way. And it was through talking to them that I started realizing, like, my sensory issues go a lot deeper than I realized. Like, things that I thought everyone experienced, they don't. Mm -hmm. You know, some people hear a loud noise and they're like, oh, that's annoying, stop that. And I'm like, wow, it feels like an electric bolt is running up and down my body, even though the sound finished a minute ago, you know? Yeah. 
or like going into social situations and being comfortable always asking them like hey was that sarcasm because and they would like explain to me and after a while and along with like social media and like tiktok and mm-hmm. shit, i was like huh this is a pretty common experience for a very specific subset of people yeah <laughs> And that's what led me to start, like, on the diagnosis journey. Long-winded way to say, like, I didn't know what was going on. And then I did really well at learning how to do things, and then I burnt out. And then I realized, like, not everyone has to try this hard. Yeah. And that's how I got here. And then post- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna (laughs) say, like, I feel like it's so interesting, because I feel like listening to that, the one thing that you, like, pinpoint is, like, this would have been so much easier for you and so much more helpful- if you were just able to, like, talk about it growing up. Yeah. Because I feel like, um, especially for neurodivergence, there's just so much stigma around being able to, like, talk about your feelings. Like you said, like, we just don't talk about those things growing up. Nobody is like, oh, yeah, like, this thing made me feel this way. Like, not everyone feels like that, you know? (laughs) And having that, like, one realization would be so helpful. I feel like if there was just less stigma and we were able to just be like, yeah, you feel like this, this maybe is, like, what's going on with you. Yeah. You know? some things we can work around that and, like, help you not be so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then, um, what were you gonna There's say? so many things to talk about. Now I want to talk about that. <laughs> Open the floodgates. Gosh. Okay, I have to decide which one I want to talk about <laughs> first. Like, post-diagnosis feelings or... I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do the things that have been easier and then the post-diagnosis feelings. Yeah, I like it. Okay. I think about that all the fucking time. Because I'm, like... I went through so much turmoil in my life of, like, like, when I was younger and being like, eh, everything's great. And then when I was, like, so confused and so uncomfortable and so stressed all the time, like, I can't believe, and I threw, it kind of worked out for me med school-wise, because mm-hmm. I feel like I threw myself into studying because learning how to do well in high school and stuff and doing well in classes has very set rules. Yeah. And when I was stressed about, like, not understanding what the fuck was going on and feeling like I was always fucking up and not understanding why, and the only reason I would know I fucked up is because of people's responses and being like, oh, is that person mad? And you know high school people. They do not communicate. They're passive-aggressive. They talk shit. I was so confused. Especially northern Wisconsin. Yeah, absolutely. Rural northern Wisconsin. Like, even into adulthood, most adults in there don't talk to me no they just talk shit and they're fake to your face and I never knew it I was so confused and like also playing into like disorder eating in my life and stress and being overstimulated all the time and like going home and just like laying in my bed for hours I was so fucking exhausted other people don't always experience that you know yeah and then mental health wise like struggling with like I don't think I ever probably qualified for, like, major depressive disorder, because I think it was mostly just burnout, mm-hmm. or what I thought was panic disorder. Turns out it is meltdowns and anxiety. If I would have just known these things about myself and been able to, from a younger age, know what works for me to circumvent that, I can't imagine how much happier I would have been and how much more successful I could have been at enjoying life. I don't even know if I would have gotten into med school because maybe I would have had time to do fun things and not just, like, study my ass off that's the only thing I knew how to do without yeah. being overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think about now post-diagnosis and how, how much happier I am than I've ever been before in my life and how little anxiety I have compared. 
I, I'm sure you've seen those memes where it's like me going to the grocery store with the anxiety of someone being hunted for sport. <laughs> That's what I always felt like. And now just like knowing, like being able to recognize in myself when I'm overstimulated and being like, oh, I'll just put headphones in mm-hmm. or like, oh, I will wear a big soft hoodie and not go in the grocery store right now because right. I like being able to just recognize those things and do something minor to fix it has made this enormous change in my life yeah especially because I don't have a ton of accommodations besides Dakota for like school or work or anything Mm -hmm. just being able to know that about myself and make those small changes and be able to even recognize that what I'm feeling is overstimulation and not just panic yeah I used to be like oh I guess I'm panicking now haha this happens all the time and now I'm like oh it's just a little too bright in here (laughs) yeah and then I'm fine (laughs) yeah I turn it off the light (laughs) that's so yeah I mean that's so much more comforting to be like hey this is the reason why I'm feeling like this you know and um instead of just feeling like wow am I having a panic attack right now or I I just can't imagine because I feel like um growing up it's just so tough because you're like, wow, like something really is wrong with me. And then growing up and being able to come to the real, oh, oh my gosh. So sorry. (laughs) We just got a text from our friend who's going to come meet us for breakfast. We love Brecky. Um, anyways, okay. Hopefully, I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't go off again. Um, but, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. It's so nice to just have the realization of being like okay you know there's there's nothing like wrong with me I'm not broken this is just who I am this is just a part of my diagnosis you know um you're not like a broken human Mm -hmm. um I definitely felt that a bit growing up because I had some pretty like major anxiety Mm -hmm. and I was like wow you know People don't feel like they're gonna throw up after somebody just, like, asks them to, like, <laughs> move to the left a little. That's crazy. Yeah, We're not all that. <laughs> We're not. So, you see, I'm not doing that. That's crazy, actually. Cool. Whoa. Cool. I love that. I Yeah. So, uh, that, um, it breaks my heart a little to, like, know that you had to go through such burnout without answers for so long, but it, it makes me so happy that you finally come to a place where you can get a diagnosis, and, yeah. And I don't have to force myself to make eye contact. Yeah. Especially with doctors, and it's nice because I'm always just, like, instead of forcing it, I can just be like, I'm not gonna make eye contact while I talk to this person. Yeah. And just, if they care, fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> like, just feel comfortable in who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about then how it has been for you in medical school? I know um, it's, yeah, it's probably been definitely a process getting accommodations or just mm-hmm. having people understand um, that, you know, you're perfectly capable and in fact better than them probably (laughs) yeah I think part of this process is has helped me so much with my learning and my confidence and my like ability to learn because in undergrad I was constantly like so stressed about doing well in school partially because that was still my whole identity was that I can do well in school (laughs) I can't talk to people Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I sure as hell can get 150 percent in organic chemistry and in med school now knowing this about myself it's been a huge transition to being able to be like I don't have to be friends with every single person in our class 
Yeah. I can find my group of people that make me feel comfortable, which, of course, is a fuck ton of other neurodivergent people that I clocked, and <laughs> whether consciously or subconsciously, was like, these people. Also, all the gays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and being like, this is great. I don't need to be friends with other people if I don't like talking to someone in our class, because we have some people that I'm just like... I don't vibe with you. I don't yeah. have to force myself to and, be around them. And that's okay. Yeah, I'm like, this is great. I can choose my own comfort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't give a fuck. They have their own friends. Like, yeah. This isn't an obligation. And also with the learning and stuff, knowing that, like, I think, because <laughs> I got the spicy tism where, like, I can, like, talk to people if I really want to because I've learned how to mask and I choose not to anymore, so I'm not so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've been able to pour that into learning about things that I want to. And I have, like, kind of semi of a photographic memory. So, like, being able to be like, I'm good at this. Yeah. For the first time in my life being like, I'm very successful right now. Yeah. And I'm crushing it. Absolutely. And that felt good to be able to recognize and not be like, I'm failing at everything because I couldn't do some things other people couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, the things I can do is crush these exams. Absolutely. <laughs> and be empathetic as hell for my patients and, like, work on my Spanish and, like, recognize that also I don't need to be the top of my class. One, yeah. Because it's past fail. I, like, crushed it too hard in the beginning. And then was like, hey, how about we try to enjoy things outside of this? Try to, like, do things I've never done. I've never really gone to bars. Yeah. Because I couldn't handle them. And now I just put earplugs in, went to bars with friends for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, we can all just jump around. This is, like, free stimming. This is great. Ah! My head's not going to explode because I have my earplugs. <laughs> yeah. Go to, like, museums and be, like, just walking around with my headphones and with Dakota, who, of course, is a godsend. Mm-hmm. Like, and with Tess, our friend Tess, like, really opened a world for me with, like, studying in coffee shops. I'd never done that before because, again, it was so loud and right. there were so many people talking and you had to go up and order and being, like, where we, where we first met you at Colectivo and being, like, this can be a fun experience. Ah! That's fucking crazy. And I feel like I had, like, my whole undergrad experience I was supposed to have with all of those things mm-hmm. in the first year and a half. Because I finally let myself do whatever I needed to do to accommodate myself to be able to try to enjoy these things. Yeah. And Tess helped me realize, like, it's pass-fail. We're gonna pass all these exams, and we're gonna do all these fun things I've never done before in my life. Because now I know how to do them in a way that's not so overwhelming for me that I can't enjoy it. Ah, yeah, I love that so much. You're finally getting to, like, be you and do all of the fun, crazy things you should be able to do, you know? It felt like such a huge transition in my life, and I'm so thankful for Tess and, like, all of my friends, like, you and Caleb, and... Yeah. Who, like, helped me get to try those things, and also were so graceful, and, like, if we did go out, and I was like, listen, I need a break, mm-hmm. never once was, like, questioning it. Right. Just like, okay, let's go stand outside for a minute. Or, yeah. Or, like, oh, you want to go play board games at home instead? You know, getting to try things, and mm. also, it's not, like, everything I tried, I was like, I love this now. I still tried some things and was like, get me the fuck out of here. Right. But having friends that would be like, okay, let's go. Like, or like, oh, do you want us to come with? Being able to openly communicate. If I could be like, oh, I'll just go home, y'all stay. Mm-hmm. And, like, not having to be like, are they pissed? Are they, like, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just well, wonderful. I'm so happy you've been able to get to a place where you feel comfortable with people and feel comfortable like in your diagnosis and mm-hmm. like fully accept them as a part of you not as like parts that you're trying to like fix you know yeah um well thank you so so much for being on the podcast this week we're really excited to have both of you <laughs> <Good boy. clears throat> 
And of course, we want to say a great thank you to uh, the Scary Canaries for our uh, theme music. Um, Jelly, did you have any words before we head out? Uh, just so my idiot, she's going crazy right now, and I want to talk about 500 more things. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have her back on. You'll see her again soon. Okay, bye! Yes.